You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Let's pray. Father, thank you so Mm -hmm. much for your written word, Lord, and I thank you that we can gather around your word tonight. And Father, I believe that just as Jesus said that where two or three are gathered together, that you are right here in our midst. And no matter where we are physically, I thank you spiritually, we're united, and that your power, your anointing, and the Spirit of God is present right where each and every one of us are. Father, I thank you that as we Uh, Look to your word, Father. We expect to receive revelation and insight. We give permission for the Holy Spirit to make himself real to us as the teacher and the revealer, the revelator of God's word. And so, Father, I believe we're going to be taught tonight. I believe we're going to be changed. I believe we're going to be uh, strengthened and made more into the image of the Lord Jesus. And Father, I thank you in Jesus' name, for the results that shall come. And we believe you and we praise you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, turn in your Bibles with me to Mark the 11th chapter. Mark the 11th chapter, and we are going to pick up. I'm going to, we're talking about, uh, of course, our our refresher study in faith. This is week number nine. And uh, we're going to continue looking at this. Last week, we looked at seven ways that you can build your faith and strengthen your faith. I want to uh, continue tonight looking at seven things that can be a hindrance to your faith. And uh, we talked about number one last week, and really uh, that's very plain and simple, and that is unforgiveness is probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, hindrance to your faith being able to work for you. So in Mark chapter 11, Let's begin in verse 22, Mark eleven twenty-two. Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, very often when we're teaching on faith, we stop right there, but Jesus didn't stop there. He continued on and said, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, what is it so important about this particular uh, text is this, is that In all the teachings of Jesus found in the four Gospels, this is the only specific hindrance to faith that Jesus taught on and mentioned uh, this specifically. Uh, You know, of course, he mentioned doubt, he mentioned unbelief and that type of thing. But uh, as far as uh, being very, very pointed and specific, this was the only hindrance that he mentioned verbatim. And so it must be extremely important to us, and we've got to take note of this. We've got to understand and and believe that we we must walk in love. We must walk in forgiveness. You know, we talked about Galatians chapter five and verse six last week, and 
where it says faith works by love. And so if you want your faith to work, you're going to have to learn how to walk in uh, love and especially walk in unforgiveness. So we can't afford to harbor any bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. We have to let it go. And we have to be willing to release uh, the, the offense, if you will, so that our faith can remain unhindered and be able to work for us. And so number two is we wanted to talk about a little bit about the hindrance of worry. Worry is a great hindrance to faith. And essentially, um, worry basically uh, can build into a multiple uh, things. It can, it can transpire and cause things to come to pass in our, first of all, in our thinking, which affects our believing, which affects our acting, acting and speaking. And all of those are outworkings of, of our faith. And so when we participate in worry, we're allowing our minds to dictate to us and to take us someplace in a, in a level of, of doubt and unbelief that we really don't need to go to. Jesus, just make a note of this, these, this scripture. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? So if if we had no other instruction in the other scriptures, uh, except for this one, the fact that Jesus addressed this and said it is enough for us to to get out of and to drop the the habit of worry. And, uh, you know, it's something that that many of us have dealt with and do deal with. And so we we have to be mindful of this. Go over with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want to look at 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Again, familiar portions of Scripture. And I want to begin, and I'm going to read it, those two verses, uh, in the uh, New King James, and then I'm going to read them to you from the Amplified Bible. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, uh, Peter wrote and said this, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, the implication of this uh, verse 6 is that when we participate in worry, we're exalting ourselves and almost, um, well, I just don't know of any other way to say it, but we're, we're, we're almost making a God out of ourselves because we're trying to solve all of our problems and challenges without God's help. And so that's why he started this by saying, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting, and you could put the word by, B-Y, by casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Listen to the Amplified Bible, the classic. It says, therefore, humble yourselves, demote, lower yourselves in your own estimation. I like that. Under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you casting the whole of your care, all of your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. So there is a great reason for us to do this, and that is because we're 
taking advantage of the fact that God cares for us. And I love the way the Amplified says this. God cares for us affectionately and cares about us watchfully. Now, the Amplified also includes a lot of things that we uh, you, we, we want to claim we're not worrying, so we su substitute and say, well, it's just something I'm concerned about. So I love the fact that the Amplified included that and said, you know, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. And so the the thing with worry, and if you want to just make a, a note of uh, Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven, we've looked at this scripture many times. Um, let me go ahead and read it to you out of the Amplified. It says this, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition, definite requests with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God and God's peace shall be yours. That tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and being content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is, that peace, which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So let me just say, what is worry? Well, we've taught in depth on worry, but just to hit on a couple of highlights, worry basically is the rehearsing of your problem over and over in your mind, trying to search for an answer. And here's the thing about the human mind is uh, you don't know what you don't know. And so I know that sounds silly, but the fact of the matter is, is if you don't know the answer to your problem, you're rehearsing over the problem in your mind, trying to find something that is not there. The source or the answer to your problem is going to be found by the Holy Spirit as he reveals it to you in your spirit. And so worrying doesn't do anything to cause the answer to be manifest, really, you need to lean over in the spirit. So if you face a, a, a situation, a, particularly a new situation, you're going to have to get your answer from the Lord. And so what happens is when we search in our minds and keep going over and over and over uh, the situation in our mind, um, what we do is we only cause ourselves more frustration and anxiety, again, because the answer simply is not there. But the good news is, no matter what we might be facing, God always has a way. There is a way out. There's a way of deliverance. There is a way of provision. Whatever it might be, God has a way. Now, God I don't know if you know this or not, but he's smarter than you and me. Oh, and yeah. so he has a million ways to solve your problem. All we need is one. And so what we've got to do is we've got to develop a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit so that he can reveal that answer to us and bring it to the forefront of our understanding so that we can walk it out. And so worrying really does nothing for you except cause you anxiety it can affect you physically, uh, but the worst thing is, is it definitely hinders your faith. So the, the best thing you can do is do like First Peter, and that is cast your cares, cast your worries, cast your anxieties 
over on the Lord. And I like what Rick Renner says about that word casting. As it's as if you were had a rock in your hand and you were throwing that rock as far away from you as it possibly could go. And that's what you're doing. That's what that word casting means. It means to, to throw it, to throw it over to the Lord. And here's the thing, um, you know, maybe I'm guilty about, I don't know about you, but um, that is I'll cast it over to the Lord, but then I'll get it back. And then I'll cast it over to the Lord for a while and then I'll get it back. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just habit. It, 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 if you're used to worrying, it is a difficult habit to break. And so once you, and I love what the Amplified says, once you've cast it over on the Lord, cast it over on him once and for all, let it go. And when it tries to come back into your thinking, say, nope, I've cast that over on the Lord. That's the Lord's problem, <laughs> not mine. And so you, and again, I'm not saying that we get uh, sloppy and, and, you know, we don't deal with it, with things in life that we need to deal with. I'm just saying that, uh, cast that over on the Lord, let the Lord carry the weight of it. And you believe for wisdom. I, you know, I, I go to, to James chapter one, uh, when you're facing a situation, if you need wisdom, ask God for the wisdom, let him reveal it to you. And the Bible says, it says plainly, he will give it to you. He will give you the wisdom that you need. And a lot of times, all we need is just a little bit of wisdom to navigate through whatever it is that we happen to be facing at the moment. All right. So don't let worry hinder your faith. Here's number three. And then, and I know some of these are just really obvious, but, but they need to be stated anyway. Number three is practicing sin will hinder your faith. Now, let me say this. We are the righteousness of God. We are new creations in Christ. We are not sinners. However, we, we deal with a flesh body. We deal with a broken world. And uh, it is possible that you and I will sin. But because if we do not practice that sin and and hurriedly and quickly repent of that sin, of course, there's forgiveness and mercy and grace waiting on us. Go over with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And let's look at verse 3. 1 John 3, 3. Um, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, John said this, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Then he begins or continues in verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And, and the hope that he's referring to is exactly what it says in verse 2, that, uh, that it shall be revealed that uh, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. little side note, you're more like Jesus now than you really understand and, and think you are. Uh, as a born-again believer, you might not be perfect, okay? But the fact of the matter is, 
what John is telling us is when we finally do see the Lord in person, we're going to marvel because we're going to realize how much like him we were the whole time and we didn't fully understand it. So what he's saying is understand that now. So verse three, everyone who has this hope in him, in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Verse four, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he is manifest. He was manifested to take away our sins and in him, there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Well, wait a minute. I know people would say, well, uh, you know, I know that I sinned yesterday or whatever. So that must mean I'm not abiding in him. No, if you look in the original language, it actually says this. Uh, and you know that he, uh, um, excuse me, verse six, whoever abides in him does not practice sin. Okay. Whoever sins or practices sin has neither seen him nor known him. So there's a difference between committing sin occasionally and practicing sin. I, I would venture to say, and of course I'm, I'm nobody's judge, but I would, I would venture to say that someone who practices sin, I would have to wonder if they've really actually been born again. Because I don't know about you, but when I got saved, when I received Christ, I wanted to stop sinning. I wasn't looking for ways to be able to continue to sin, to continue to practice sin. And, I, and you know, even to this day, I still, you know, if I do miss it, if I do sin, uh, you know, it, I'm heartbroken. Okay, somebody who practices sin does not have that. Okay, let me read this out of the Amplified. It says this in verse six, no one who abides in him, who lives and remains in communion and obedience to him deliberately, knowingly, and habitually commits or practices sin. No one who habitually sins has either seen or known him recognized, perceived, or understood him, or has had an experiential acquaintance with him. Okay, so John is telling us that, uh, and we know John understands that, that we are human, and it is possible for us to sin, or else he would not have written in 1 John 1, 9, when he said, you know, if any man sins, let him confess it, believe that he's received forgiveness, and uh, you're cleansed, and you can move on. But this verse is talking about those who practice sin. So I want to say this to you. If, if there is sin uh, that you're practicing, first of all, you need to make sure that you're born again. And then secondly, and I know that's none of us on here tonight, but I'm just saying, secondly, you need to address that and repent of it and ask God to help you walk out of that to break that in your life. And he will do that. He will break that thing. First uh, John chapter three, verse 20 says this, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn or convict us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, let me say this to you. You might not practice sin, but let's say you have sinned. 
The reason that you need to deal with that and repent of it and, and go to 1 John 1, 9 and ask for forgiveness is because, uh, as, as he says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20 and 22, that if you don't do that, your heart, your spirit is going to continue to try and convict you of that sin. Now, if you don't yield to that and repent and ask for forgiveness, it is possible down the road for you to do what Paul said and to sear your conscience to where you no longer are sensitive in a given area because you've allowed your conscience to become seared where that sin is concerned. This is how somebody, uh, you know, I, I, I know of people, and I've, I've used this example before, but I know of people who I know are, are born again. I know even baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they have allowed themselves to uh, give in to a, a homosexual lifestyle. And because of that, and because of dwelling in that and not giving heed to the conviction in their spirit, they have seared their conscience in that area, and they have justified it in their own thinking, and in their thinking, believe that it's okay, and that God's okay with it. And that is a very, very dangerous place to be. You don't want to be in that place, uh, because the, the scripture is very clear. The wages of sin is death. Sin will bring death and destruction into your life. And so what I, my point is this, uh, bottom line is, if you're practicing sin, it's going to hinder your faith, but that's really the least of your problems at that point. You need to deal with it, believe God, uh, go to God, and, and listen, here's the thing, I heard Brother Copeland say this a long, long time ago, and I've never forgotten it, and that is this, when you sin, run to the Lord when you sin, not from him. Now, you're going to want to run from him because you're ashamed. You're going to want to do like Adam did in the garden and hide. But that's the worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do is go straight to God when you sin. Now, here's what, you know, <laughs> our lightning fast minds tell us or, or don't want us to understand is when you confess that sin, according to 1 John 1, 9, is not when God finds out about it. Mm-hmm. He knows about it. So you're better off just going to him and letting him help you because he wants to help you. He wants to uh, help bring you out of that so you don't have that in your life. He's not, um, you know, God is not an angry old man sitting in heaven waiting for us to mess up so he can be mad and angry with us. No, he is. He paid a dear price through the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver us and set us free from the power of sin. And when we truly want to be free from that, he will help us to get free. He'll help us walk out of whatever that bondage might be and uh, help us to, to be able to live unfettered by that sin and unhindered by it in any way. All right. Now, number four goes hand in hand with this. And number four is this, a sin consciousness will hinder your faith. A sin consciousness will hinder your faith. Now, what is a sin consciousness? Well, let's say, you know, you have sinned or uh, the Lord 
you know, has moved in your heart and your spirit has convicted you that you have sinned in some area. So you go to the Lord and, uh, you know, in first John one, nine, you confess the sin to him. And the Bible says that he forgives and he cleanses from all unrighteousness, but you still feel guilty. Sin consciousness is the, is the result of that guilt and shame that comes from either sin you have recently committed or perhaps uh, maybe things that you did before you gave your heart to Jesus, before you got born again. And if you don't deal with a sin, excuse me, a sin consciousness, it will hinder your faith. I want to say this. This is one of the biggest revelations that, that I've ever gotten and uh, that you could ever get. And that is this. Once you get saved, you never have to pay the price for stuff that you did before you got saved, spiritually speaking. Okay. Now, granted, somebody might bring up, well, what if I broke the law? Well, okay. Well, if you broke the law, then you're going to have to deal with that part of it. But I'm talking about spiritually. I'm talking about the person that that maybe did some things before they got saved. They get give their heart to Christ. They become a new creation in Christ. Their sin is forgiven. You'd no longer have to pay for that sin. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, the reason that they're having a hard time in life is because they're just having to pay for the way that they lived before they became a Christian. Well, if that's the case, then, then Jesus' sacrifice was not enough. Jesus, what Jesus did for us at the cross was not enough, and he might as well have not gone if we're going to have to pay for it. No, let me tell you something. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was more than enough to pay for your past sin, your present sin, and sin you have not even yet committed. The price has already been paid. His blood has already been shed. So you no longer, I no longer, we no longer have to carry a sin consciousness to where we're filled with shame, where we live a life burdened by shame. You know, I'm not proud of some stuff that I did before I got saved. But listen, I don't carry the shame of that now. I'm not that person. That person died when I got saved, when I got born again. Look over with me at Hebrews chapter 10, please. Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to read the first four verses. And uh, let me read it to you out of the Amplify Classic just because it, it goes into a little more depth. Hebrews chapter 10, one through four. It says this, for since the law was merely a, a rude outline foreshadowing of the good things to come, instead of fully expressing those things, it can never, by offering the same sacrifices continually, year after year, make perfect those who approach its altars. Now, let me explain what, what is being said here. According to the Old Testament law, at a minimum, uh, everyone had to go to Jerusalem uh, on, for the Day of Atonement and present a sacrifice, and then the priest would have to take blood from that sacrifice into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the utensils and the, the furniture there in the Holy of Holies, 
but he had to do it every year. Why? Because the sacrifices that they made were not sufficient to cover more than that, that amount of time. All right. But so what, what Paul is saying here is that those sacrifices uh, could never uh, be made continually year after year, make perfect those who approach its altars. For verse two, for if it were otherwise, would these sacrifices not have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers had once for all been cleansed, they would no longer, look at this, have any guilt or consciousness of sin. But as it is, these sacrifices annually bring a fresh remembrance of sins to be atoned for, because the blood of bulls and goats is powerless to take sins away. So the implication here is, according to verse 2, that the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was sufficient. The Bible says he, he shed his blood once and for all, and it was sufficient to cleanse people and to bring them to a place where they would no longer have any guilt or consciousness of sin. Okay, so you and I, as, as New Testament born-again believers, do not have to carry the guilt and shame and sin consciousness of sin that has been washed away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 43 and verse 25, just make a note of that. Isaiah 43, 25, the Lord or Isaiah prophesying said, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard it said, been a long time, but I've heard it said that, that, Believers and unbelievers, when we get to heaven, we're all going to go for God's throne, and it's going to be like a drive-in movie theater screen right there, and uh, God's going to play this video and show your life and how you lived your life before you got saved and so forth and so on, and you're going to have to give an account for, for your life just in the totality of your life. Okay. And um, there is nothing further from the truth. Now, there is a, there are two judgments, not to get too bogged down in this, but there are two judgments. The first judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. And that we will pass before, but it is not um, an accounting for your life before you got saved. It's an accounting of what you did as a steward of your life after you got saved in walking out the will of God for your life. And there will be, there, there won't be punishment uh, given out, but there will be rewards given based on your faithfulness to be a good steward of whatever God entrusted to you. That's what believers are going to experience. Your sin will never ever be brought up again. According to what Isaiah said, God has forgotten that. Now, you need to understand um, there's a difference between forgetting 
as in the case of an old man who gets Alzheimer's versus choosing not to remember. Okay. God is not an old man that he's losing his marbles and he's not going to remember your sin. No, the, the, the good news is that he chooses not to remember your sin. And trust me, when God chooses not to remember something, it is gone. It is, is forever wiped out. Psalm 103 verses, verse 12 says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Okay, so you need to know that you're never going to give an account for your sin ever, ever again. Okay, now uh, the unbelievers are going to go before the great white throne judgment. And really, you know, truthfully, they're not going to give an account for all the sins that they committed. Did you know that there's only one sin that will cause a person to go to hell? It's not mm -hmm. adultery. It's not drinking. It's, it's not running around. It's not even murder. It's not those things. There's only one sin that will cause a person to go to hell, and that is rejecting the yes. Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Yes. And when people go before the great white throne judgment, my belief is they're basically going to get asked one question. Uh, or, you know, something along this line, uh, you know, did you or why didn't you receive or believe and receive what Jesus did for you? Why did you reject him? And, and you know, the Bible's very clear that it, at one point, every knee will bow and declare that Jesus is Lord. So even the most hardened individual that would swear that they're an atheist or agnostic and, and don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus and all of that. There will come a day when they will, and they shall bow their knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. The unfortunate thing is it will be too late. Okay. So, uh, that's why we need to tell people about the gospel, but the good news is you and I do not have to live our lives with a sin consciousness. We do not have to live our lives with guilt and shame. That's what being made the righteousness of God is all about, being able to stand in the presence of a holy God as though sin never existed in our lives. That's what being made right before God is all about, and that's what Jesus has done for us. Here's number five. Didn't mean to spend that much time on number four, but it's good anyway. Number five is a lack of understanding. This is a hindrance to faith, a lack of understanding of who you are in Christ. Now, none of that sounds very simple. I know that we talk about it, and I don't want to ever uh, us to um, inoculate ourselves to, to the depth of that and the understanding of that, but we really need to understand the rights and privileges that we have as born-again believers in Christ. And we need to understand those things, and we need to walk in them. And so when we don't know these things, here's the, the sad truth about it is we will live below, our lives will be lived out below what God bought and paid for us to live, how he bought and paid for us to live. In other words, 
uh, we will never experience God's highest and best if we do not understand who we are in Christ. And if you don't understand that, it will hinder your faith. You know, it'll hinder your prayer life. It'll hinder how you approach God in general. Um, and, you know, as long as you uh, labor under um, uh, an ignorance or lack of understanding of that, your faith is not going to go very far. Now, number six is this, a lack of understanding the power of the name of Jesus and our privilege to use it will hinder your faith. Lack of understanding the power of the name of Jesus and our privilege to use the name of Jesus, not understanding that will hinder your faith. Okay, let me just give you a couple of scripture references. John 14, verses 13 and 14. John 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said this, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24 says, and in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy may be full. Now, understanding the power of the name of Jesus and the authority of the name of Jesus, you can look all throughout the New Testament and discover that, you know, Ephesians chapter one tells us that Every name has been placed under him. He has complete rule and authority over every other name that is named. And so that means his name is the highest name. There is no other name under heaven that whereby men must be saved, the Bible says. So the power of Jesus' name is something that we need to understand. Now, here's one reason why is that when you're dealing with the powers of darkness, you need to understand the authority that you have in Jesus' name. And they hope you never discover that, because if you, if you do not understand that, they will be able to exert influence and control in your life and hinder the plan of God from coming to pass in your life. So this is very, very important. And then number seven, you know, and this is probably in the process of, of walking your faith out. Number seven is we stop speaking the word and acting on the word when we don't immediately see the results. Anybody ever been there before? I know I sure have. You know, you, you, you begin to wonder, you know, what, what's going on? I thought it would have happened by now. And so, you know, the, the thing is, is we, it, bottom line is, don't hinder your faith by quitting. Don't hinder your faith by giving up. Galatians 6, 9 in the Living Bible says this, and let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Okay, it's very important when you're walking in faith and you're you're standing in faith for whatever it might be, whether it's your healing, whether it's you know, whatever the promise might be from the word of God, stay with it until you see it through, until you see the completion. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36 talk about this very thing. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. 
Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. What is endurance? Endurance is staying with the race until the race is over. Well, when is the race over? When you win. Okay. So, so a lot of times we just need endurance. We need endurance and staying with it so that we'll receive the promise. Hebrews chapter six, verses 11 and 12 in the Passion Bible says this, but we long to see you passionately advance until the end and find your hope fulfilled or expectation fulfilled. So don't allow your hearts to grow dull or lose your enthusiasm, but follow the example of those who fully received what God has promised because of their strong faith and patient endurance. Because they received the promise because of their strong faith and patient there means consistent, their consistent endurance. Okay. See, it's one thing. Strong faith will not do you any good if you don't have any endurance. If you can't stay with it uh, without quitting until your faith sees it through, then you're going to hinder your faith. You're not going to be able to see it. You know, I, I, Jerry Savelle has a, uh, I think it's Jerry, has a series of messages uh, called Faith and Patience, the Wonder Twins, uh, because they have to work together. You know, your faith and your patience, your consistency, your endurance must work together in order to see it through so that you receive the promise, so that your hope is realized, that, or like this verse says, until you find your expectation fulfilled. Okay, so you've got to have those things in place, faith and patience. Now, I want to change gears on you because I, I've, I got... Uh, something in the mail this week. And uh, I want to share something uh, from an article that was in that piece that I got this week that really mm -hmm. encouraged me. And I want to share it with you because I believe it'll be an encouragement to you. Uh, you might've heard me mention in the past, uh, Pastor Bob Yandian, Y-A-N-D-I-A-N. He was my pastor when I was in Bible school in Tulsa. He pastored Grace Fellowship Church out in Tulsa for many, many years. And his son now pastors the church, uh, but he's probably, in my estimation, uh, one of the best Bible teachers. I would say he and Rick Renner are probably neck and neck. Rick's specialty, uh, specialty is a little different because he focuses a lot in the Greek language, but Pastor Bob's teaching is just, um, just phenomenal, and particularly with Old Testament things. And so... Uh, in that newsletter, he addresses something that I believe uh, if, if you've never dealt with this, you might be tempted to deal with this. And and uh, he, he starts it, uh, the article by asking this, how much faith do you need to meet your needs? How much faith is required in order for God uh, to be able to move and to meet your needs? Okay. And, and that's a question, or maybe it's been presented to you this way. The reason that you haven't seen the answer to your prayer yet is because you don't have enough faith, 
Or maybe even in our ignorance, we've told people that. Well, the reason you didn't receive your healing is because you didn't have enough faith. Well, either one of those statements, neither one of them are true, okay? And, and let me address it and tell you why, and, and I hope this will encourage you uh, as it did me. I know all of us on here tonight have all been born again. We've all given our hearts to Christ. Uh, we've been saved. We received uh, what Jesus did for us. And so, what you know, the interesting thing to me is this, in our thinking, and maybe uh, the devil's had a part in this a little bit, but in our thinking, we have minimized the miraculous thing that happened when you got saved. Let me say it to you this way. The greatest miracle you have ever experienced and will ever experience is the new birth and being born again. There is no greater miracle. A healing miracle is temporary. And what do I mean by that? Um, it's not eternal. Um, a financial miracle is temporary. It, you know, all of that's going to pass away when you and I go home to be with the Lord. But the fact, the miracle of the new birth is so profound and so uh, amazing because it is an eternal miracle. It is something that will last throughout eternity. Now, here's what I want you to see. You had enough faith when you got born again to receive the greatest miracle known to man, and that has ever been provided by the Lord himself. You had enough faith to believe God and to allow his power to work on the inside of you, uh, as, as Pastor Bob says, to move you from Satan kingdom, Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom, from spiritual death into eternal life, to, to transfer you from satanic darkness into the kingdom of light. And so you had enough faith for that, to receive that, and for the power of God to be able to work in your life. What we've been duped into thinking is that for everything else requires this huge amount of faith. So if you want to move a mountain, you got to have mountain-sized faith. Well, that's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Jesus taught us at all, okay? So um, let me just read what he says here. Nothing will ever compare with the power demonstrated by God when he removed you from Satan's family and made you his own child. So why do you need more faith to receive a lesser miracle? Why do you need a mountain of faith to be healed or be delivered from oppression? Okay, we spend time trying to build up our faith when this is not the answer at all. We are not in need of more faith. We're in need of liberating and setting free the faith that we all have. Okay, um, and he, he points out, he says, in foreign countries, we see people receiving Jesus as Lord and immediately being healed of incurable diseases, receiving their eyesight or hearing 
or having missing limbs restored or recreated. What is even more mysterious is that many more are healed of incurable diseases and then become saved. These people have had no time to build up a greater amount of faith. What little faith they have is simply unhindered. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I want you to turn with me over to Luke's gospel, please. Mm -hmm. Luke's gospel. Now I'm not implying faith is not needed. So don't, don't hear that. What I'm telling you is the faith that God deposited in your heart when you heard the gospel and mm -hmm. there was enough faith present when you heard the gospel to allow God to work the greatest miracle known to humanity in your life. And at the same time that he did that, he, he, he deposited that same faith down on the inside of you. So here's my point. Here's the bottom line. And we'll, I'll, I'll d dive into this a little bit more. Don't ever let the devil or anybody else tell you, you do not have enough faith to receive your healing. Don't let anybody else tell you, you do not have enough faith to receive your financial needs met. Don't let anybody tell you, you do not have enough faith to receive whatever it is that God has for you. You have enough faith. You just have to learn how to set it free or as to use his phrase, liberate it and let it work for you. Okay. Now, Luke chapter 17 and verse one, I don't know if that encourages you like it has encouraged me. So somebody says, well, what does it mean then if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? Well, what you need to understand is Paul was talking about there in that chapter, people hearing the gospel for the first mm -hmm. time. But the what the word of God does is it feeds your faith, the faith that you already have, and when you use your faith, you're exercising it and causing it to be developed. But it is no, uh, no way is the Bible saying your faith is insufficient in the sense of amount. Okay, Let, let's look at Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. Jesus is talking to his disciples and it says, Then he said to the disciples, it is impossible for no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. He's talking about forgiveness, but it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him or correct him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, I, I love the disciples, okay? <laughs> because Jesus gets through, and that's a very, very strong statement he just made. If somebody offends you seven times in one day, you need to forget, and if they repent, forgive them seven times in one day. In another verse, he said 70 times seven. Peter asked him, well, you know, how often should we forgive somebody? He said 490 times in one day. Okay. So what the disciples' first response was, oh, all right. Well, then um, 
I need to spirit over spiritualize this and I need to make this God's responsibility. So their reply was, and the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Lord, I don't know if I can do that. Boy, that's going to take a whole lot of faith, Jesus. Oh boy, for me to forgive somebody, you know, uh, seven times in one day, that's going to take a lot of faith. And Jesus, <laughs> he pulled the rug right out from underneath that in verse six, when he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, which is tiny, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you, okay? What is he saying? Guys, listen, this isn't a faith issue. You've got <laughs> enough faith. If you have faith the size of a teeny tiny little mustard seed, that is more than enough faith to take care of everything else. What he was really telling them is, this is just a decision that you have to make. This really is not a faith issue. But the point that he made was, he said, your faith, if it's the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can talk to the mulberry tree and tell it to be planted in the sea, and it's got to go. So my point is this. Um, you have more than enough faith to get the job done. Now, we've talked about this a little bit uh, in previous lessons. Uh, you might remember when in Matthew 17, uh, when the man brought the the demon-possessed boy who had epileptic seizures to the disciples and they couldn't cast him out and Jesus walks up on the scene. And so the father has this conversation and make a long story short, Jesus ends up casting the demon out and the boy gets set free. And uh, if you'll recall, the disciples had been empowered by Jesus to heal the sick and to cast out demons and so forth and so on. And they had been successful in doing it. But when they came up to this particular situation, they were unsuccessful. So when they got Jesus off by himself, they asked him the question, Lord, why couldn't we cast him out? What was Jesus' response? Does anybody remember? Oh, he had no faith. Well, he's, essentially, he said this. He said, uh, you could not cast it out because of your unbelief. Really? your unbelief. Let me say this to you. You have more than enough faith, but what is going to limit and tie the hands of your faith and the hands of God, consequently, is going to be your unbelief. Unbelief that you allow to get into your heart. Now, I'm running out of time, but let me just talk about... Uh, two types of unbelief that Pastor Bob talks about here. Um, there is a rebellious unbelief, and this is what we saw in the children of Israel. You know, and, and listen, I, I'm not, I try not to be too hard on them, but I was listening to a message this morning on my morning walk, and uh, the things that, that Moses and, and Aaron and then Joshua and had to deal with where the people were concerned you know, and especially right after they came out of Egypt, after they witnessed all of the, the miracles that God did in order to facilitate their deliverance, the first thing they get out in the wilderness and do is complain because they don't have any food and water. And, uh, you know, I try and cut them a little slack and say, well, maybe I would do the same thing. But 
uh, I would like to believe that that soon after seeing God move so dramatically, I might not, okay? But here's my point. After seeing such miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and then even after God provides for them in the wilderness, the people still rebelled against God in unbelief and refused to believe that he would do what he said he would do. All the way up until the point that they got to Kadesh Barnea, you remember when they sent the spies in, and the spies went in, 10 of them came back with a bad report, and Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we can go in, we can take the land. And the people gave heed because of their unbelief to the report of the 10 bad, or 10, the report, the bad report of the 10 spies, and it kept them from being able to go in for 40 more years. Okay. Now, what's my point? That is a rebellious type of unbelief. Okay. And that comes from sin. That comes from allowing sin in your life. It openly defies the word and the power of God. But there is another type of unbelief called a passive unbelief. A passive unbelief. And Jesus describes this in Mark chapter 4, but a passive unbelief comes from an over-occupation with legitimate things of life. An over-occupation with the legitimate things of life. Now, I'll tell you where the unbelief came, where the disciples were concerned, and we talked about this, where that little boy was concerned, what they did is they allowed what they saw happening when that spirit manifested itself again and the pressure of the people watching them and the fear of the people. That's what allowed unbelief to come in where the disciples were concerned with, with that little boy. But you can get caught up with the things of this life in going back to what we talked about as far as worry is concerned. You know, the thorns that Jesus talked about says that the thorns grow up and they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. He said there are three things. It's um, the necessity, the necessities of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and the lust of other things enter in and choke the word and cause a passive unbelief. A passive unbelief is an unbelief that you almost don't realize is there. You know, it's one thing to just say, you know what, God, I, I refuse to believe your word. I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not going to believe you. Another, I mean, it, it's far worse to be in unbelief and you don't even realize it. Okay. That's what a passive unbelief is. And so that passive unbelief, if we're not mindful, will be the one thing that will come in and will clamp down on the word of God and choke the word and keep our faith from being able to work. But here's what I want you to see. You have more than enough faith to receive anything God has for you. But you cannot let your faith be contaminated by fear and doubt and unbelief. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, 
please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.